Anna's been telling the boys um, that this is the most important day of the year, Easter, in the church calendar where we set aside time to reflect on uh, the resurrection and what Christ has accomplished. Yesterday at breakfast, uh, Sam said the most important days of the year are his birthday and Christmas. And Ben said, no, Mom said. That's what I hear a lot. Mom said. I'll say something. But Mom said. I'm like, Mom said? I mean, come on. What about what Dad said? No. But he said, Mom said Easter is the most important day of the year. And it is so important for us to reflect on that, on the resurrection and what Christ has accomplished. And today we are going to stay in Hebrews, uh, but we're going to be thinking about what the resurrection accomplished for us. So you can just kind of keep in your mind, if, if I think about uh, Easter and about the resurrection generally, I will think in terms of that justification, that we are declared right with God, uh, by the resurrection, it's a very clear indication of that. Sanctification, we are made holy and being made holy, which is what we'll focus on today. And then glorification, one day we will be with him and we will be uh, restored and, and with the Lord forever. And the resurrection reminds us of all three. But again, today we are going to be focusing in on uh, sanctification. And so I think that's uh, important. And I, I just kind of, when we stop and think about that, I think we are talking today about living an obedient life. And you have to ask yourself, do you really want that? Do you really want that more than anything? You could have a long list of things that you think you deserve, you think you want. And the reality is somebody could like give you everything you think you want, everything that will satisfy you. And if it's not desiring to live to the glory of God and the good of others, it's not satisfying. And so we're going to be dealing with that today, and if you would uh, just bow your heads and pray with me, we will uh, begin that. Father, we thank you for your word. We ask that we would see in glory in the resurrection of Christ, that we would understand that what he accomplished by his life, death, burial, and resurrection secured for us forgiveness and a new heart, and as a result, we do desire and we are empowered to do the things that you would want us to do. And we want to live in faith, believing that, even when we mess up and even when we choose the wrong way, that we would run back to the realities that the power of Christ at work in us is strong and that we, we need you every day and we need to walk in that power and we pray that we would. In Christ's name, amen. So I just, going back to that, just you want to live. It's a mark of a Christian. It is a part of you want to live to the glory of God. You want to live an obedient life. That is what you would strive for. If you are in Christ, you desire to obey Him. There are people that would teach like, well, I mean, I'm, I am a Christian, I don't care about obeying Christ. That, that, just doesn't, that doesn't go together. But you don't understand. I ask Jesus in my heart, but I don't really want to live for Him. That doesn't go together. That's not the way it works. Someone who is a part 
of the family of God who has come to saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ has experienced forgiveness of sins and has been given a new heart. And although, again, feelings go up and down, the reality is Christ is at work in us. His work by the Spirit is accomplishing a life of obedience. It's moving us towards that. He is sanctifying us. And so it's not that we always feel that way. It's not that we always feel that everybody else is being as sanctified maybe as we are. you know. But the reality is, if you are in Christ, you are a new creation and you desire to live a holy life. Now, I'm going to summarize Hebrews with you real quick because I want to catch you up and then we'll take a look at this because he repeats a lot of the same themes, but they're, they're, it's all tied together. So every time he steps in, he may pick up this theme, but then he's going to say, but don't you understand something? And today is it emphasizes you living a holy life. Obedience to the will of God is what he talks about here. And so let's start. Let's just run through Hebrews real quick and see Christ is better and see the power of this new covenant that's come. And that's kind of what you'll, you want to see here. So Hebrews presents Jesus as better than everything that's come before. The former revelation was truly God's revelation. That is, what was written before. But the final revelation found in Jesus is a better revelation. The angels were heavenly mediators. That is, they were... They stood between God and man. They were these messengers of God uh, of the old covenant. But Jesus is better. He is greater than the angels. And then Moses, the earthly mediator, he stood between God and man and came down with the law to the people. Jesus is better than him. He was a servant. Uh, Jesus is the son. The priesthood of Aaron was weak and temporary so you you kind of move from god's revelation the people that were the go-between between god and man and then you go into the worship of israel and you say you know they were weak and temporary they were known by sinfulness and they died but jesus on the other hand he was of the order of the eternal melchizedekian big word priesthood it will never end it is better Again, moving forward, thinking through just the history of uh, the people of God under the Old Covenant and all that was there. The Old Covenant was temporary. But the New Covenant stands forever. And it is better. The Old Covenant could not transform, but the New Covenant that is brought into existence by Jesus offers forgiveness of sins and a transformed Heart. So again, the Old Covenant could not transform you. The Old Covenant priest in the earthly tabernacle with all of those things made by human hands were a shadow. But the New Covenant, Jesus ministers there and it's in the heavenly place built by God. The Old Covenant rituals all those laws and regulations could not take away sin. But Jesus fulfilled 
what was anticipated by them and is better. He's better. In every one of these, he's better. The last one, the Old Covenant sacrifices, again, could not take away sin. But the New Testament sacrifice, Jesus offering his own life, dealt with sin once for all. Say, why do you say all that? Because today, you're moving through, and you're saying he's better, he's better, he's better, he's better. We're we're laying that out. And then we've said, oh my goodness, like you understand, you have true forgiveness and you have a true, truly changed heart. Then you say, what follows that? An obedient life. An obedient life. It, it's not that, again, we have to say over and over, it's not that we are saved in a sense from sin, but like not saved from its power. Just saved from the penalty, but not its power. And it's not that we would say something like, Oh, I'm, I'm a Christian, and I, I, I know it. I know I am. I know I am. I know I am. What the Scripture says is, you will know it by your fruit. And it, it's not a legalism. It's not a saying, oh, I'm going to get myself right with God. It is saying, I fully trust in the righteousness of Christ to save me. I put my faith and hope in Him. I believe my f- forgiveness is based upon Him. And I even believe that my being changed is based upon him. But I also, I mean, I do know when I look at my life, I will see myself being transformed. I will see myself walking in obedience, not to be right with God, but because I am right with God. And it's not that I muster all this up and say, I'm going to work really hard and I'm going to be pleasing to God in my life. You're saying like, no, God's power by the Spirit, is at work in me. I have a new heart. I have a new heart. And all of my selfishness and all of my self-importance and all of my lack of forgetting about myself and thinking about Him and all of my attitudes and all of my arrogance and all of my uh, evil tongue and all of my actions and the way I do, all that stuff, I cannot say I'm just going to continue to live how I live because this is how I am. What, what you could say is you say, this is how God made me. That's what some people say. But then you say, no, He remade you to conform you into the image of His Son. And He is about doing that. And your attitudes and actions and everything is to be transformed by that. So that you live a life that would bring glory and honor to Christ. Jesus' obedient offering of Himself has done what the Old Covenant could not do. It has forgiven you and it has transformed you. He has set you apart to be obedient to God. He has set you apart to obey God. He has empowered you to obey God. He is working that in you. You say, well, I struggle with that. Say, well, yeah, of course, the Bible's filled with that struggle. That's why Paul would say, like, you've been set apart. But you're like being set apart. And that's why this passage would say that, where he would say something like, You are uh, seated with Christ in the heavenly places, but when He gets on earth, He's like, 
don't do this, instead do this. I mean, that's why, because we're still struggling with that. We, we, we've like, we've experienced it in part, but we have not experienced it in full. And so between the experiencing it in part and experiencing it in full, we are striving together as we are led by the Spirit and driven by His Christ's work, empowered by it in faith, we move forward to live a holy life. And one other thing that's interesting about Hebrews is holiness Holiness does not look like you just doing all the external things. That's one thing about Hebrews. It's really interesting. So if you say, I want to live an obedient life, it will not be like this small little list that you can manage. It just won't be. It, it just it won't be. And... I think it's important that we see that this morning. So we're going to start, we're going to say, look, Jesus in his obedient life and, and death has brought about like this, what the old covenant could never do, forgiveness and a transformed people who are marked by obedience to his will. That, that's, that's what it's all about. You say, how is this about the resurrection? It is about the resurrection because without resurrection power there is no obedience to follow no obedience from the heart there is none you could say well i'm pretty obedient i mean i just you know like come on man you're pretty obedient when you are measuring it against everybody sitting around you and honestly the way you measure everybody around you jesus said why don't you get the log out of your eye why don't you get the log out of your eye before you start like picking at other people, right? So we just kind of, we want to see that. So Hebrews chapter 10, verses 1 through 4. We see really in this whole 14, first 14 verses, we see we're made perfect by Christ. But look at verses 1 through 4. It's just saying again, remember, all this stuff before is a shadow of what was to come. He says, for since the law is but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. Again, he just reminds us it foreshadowed the, the need. Like today we're saying, you need to be able to draw near, you need to, to, to walk in a way that would be pleasing to God, but you understand that like the law could not help you do that. It only pointed out your problem of sin. Verse 2, Otherwise, would they have not ceased to, off, uh, to, to be offered since the worshiper, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sin? But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. So, all, all we're saying is, this is a shadow of the things to come. I, I remember, and I don't have a shadow story, I try to think of one today, but I do remember uh, sitting in a deer stand as a young boy, 10, 11, by myself, which I, you know, with a gun, you know, I don't know how old I was, which is a little bit like, what, are you serious? You know, but all, all by myself, 10, 11 years, maybe 10 years old, and then kind of moved along the way. 
but I just remember sitting there in the evening and uh, it would start to get dark and uh, that nobody would pick me up like when it was light. So as it started to get dark, coyotes are firing off, owls, you can hear them. There's things rambling around, you know, the stand. And I'm thinking about panthers, which I don't even know if they, like, exist <laughs> here, right? But I always heard stories about, did you hear that panther last night? I'm like, no, I didn't. But, like, I don't want to hear it, you know? But, you know, you're thinking about them climbing up the tree and taking you down. Grizzlies, maybe, climbing up, which I don't even know if they can climb trees. But, and I was in East Texas and all this stuff, you know, is going on. But, anyway, I just say that shadow, this is kind of the idea for me. I don't have a shadow, but I... But I do remember the noise of that three-wheeler back in the 80s starting up and it coming my way. Then I remember the light flickering through the woods. And in all of those things, they were telling me they were not the presence of my uncle who picked me up for a long time in a certain place I hunted. They were not his presence, but they were telling me his presence was coming, right? And I think here, when we're looking at this, I just think we have to say, that gave me comfort. And I think there is something about all of this sacrificial system. Although it could not make you perfect, it told you of the need for perfection and the promise that God was going to make it that way. And I think that's important. I think it's important for us to see and understand it could not deal with the guilty conscience. And that's something for you this morning. There may be some of you who really, uh, deep down, like all of you are looking at other people and like putting a mirror in front of them saying, look how messed up you are. All of you are doing that is really you trying to like somehow not think about your own guilty conscience and you like not really believing the gospel and maybe never have. Like that's real a reality. You could grow up in a religious environment, know all the catechism stuff and like tell me like, what the Trinity is. You know, you can lay all that stuff out. The reality is your whole life is spent taking a mirror and pointing at other people because you can't deal with your guilt, and the only way you know how to deal with it is to talk about everybody else's, right? That's scary. And Christ's work is something that brings to us the realization that we need to be cleansed, of course, and that God is not satisfied with us being cleansed. There's no other way to do it other than his son so we see it was a shadow the old testament was and then um there were the old covenant and then the other thing is like in verses 5 through 10 we just see what god really wants is obedience like and and the only one that could really accomplish that fully was christ but as his people christ came so that we could live an obedient life like that, that's, I mean, he came to transform us. That's what Titus 2 says. He came to, uh, to, to create in us or to accomplish in us uh, righteousness and holiness of life. The resurrection, again, is that I will send my spirit and power will come down on you and you will be my witnesses. Why? Because you have the ability to be those now. It's a transforming work. To change you and restore you and make all things new. We haven't arrived, but we're in process, and God tells us that. So in verses 5 through 10, 
you see. Christ came into the world, verse 5, and he said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. When he said above, You have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings. These are offered according to the law. Then he added, Behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. And by that will he have sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. So the Old Testament faithful people knew that just doing the external sacrifices, were that was not the point. God wanted a heart. You see it in David's songs. You see it all over. A heart that was truly devoted to him. 1 Samuel 15, 22. And that's kind of what you see in the kings and, and in, in the priests. And all that stuff. You're always looking at it saying like, nobody's heart's really right. 1 Samuel 15, 22. And Samuel said, has the, the Lord um, as great, de- I'm sorry, has the Lord as great delight in burnt offering and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to listen than the fat of rams. What is he saying? He's saying, listen, what God desires is obedience. Joslyn states, the reason why God takes no pleasure in sacrifices and offerings, but rather delights in doing, delights in doing His will is simple. The sacrifices and offerings referred to here are those that are specifically offered for sin, which is opposite of doing His will. The sin sacrifices and offerings depicted here reminded everyone present of the many sins committed by the people and there is a remembrance of sin every time one of these is brought it's just the sacrifices were just a sign that sin was everywhere sin permeated the people and so he's saying what god really desired was an obedient heart a be obedient life and you find that perfectly in the lord jesus christ and we hope in his obedience it gives us great stability and assurance that Christ was obedient, that He worked out in every way or walked in accordance to the will of God from the heart in every single way. That, that comforts us. And so we say, okay, we are trusting in His obedience for our good standing with God, right? But we also say, as Christians here, we understand that we desire to do the will of God. We want to live a life that is obedient to God. We would desire to do that. What Jesus did was complete obedience. We see that. But because of His complete obedience and all that it's given to us, we in response want to offer our lives back to God. That's what we would want to do. Not to atone for our sins. We know that can't work. We know that can't work. It will not atone for our sins. We know that won't work. There is no amount of like heaping on good things or like sitting around cutting our bodies or uh, going outside and killing a goat that's going to atone for our sins. We can't atone for them. But Christ has atoned for them and we now desire to live a holy life for His glory. 
for His honor. And we know that God wants us to do so. And we want to be pleasing to Him. And we want to walk by faith and, and live in light of the wisdom of God and the goodness of God and the strength of God and the power He supplies. We desire to live and obedient lives. And our lives will be characterized. If you are in Christ, your life will be characterized by obedience, not perfection. Again, the obedience is not to gain merit with God. The obedience is out of a heart of gratitude because Christ's meritorious work has been applied to you. What Jesus did on the cross is the only way that any of you and I would ever be right with God. But in Christ, if we are in Him, the Gospel has transformed us in such a way that we want to do His will. And if you said to me, I'm in Christ, never desire to do His will, I would say to you, you are not in Christ. Because Christ, when, he has, when, there, when, when God began a work in you, He is doing that work in you now. If you are one who walks uh, in faith, trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ as your only hope for salvation that was brought about by the Holy Spirit and the work of the Spirit that begun in you will come to completion in you. Okay, verses 11 through 14. I want you just to see what it's like with Jesus presently because you need to think about where he is and how he's different than those from the old days. Ready? Every priest stands daily at his service. Notice that. You could underline that. Every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices. So you see, daily and repeatedly, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single that might be helpful too, to make a note. Sacrifice for sins. He sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Catch this. I mean, this is crazy. Are you ready? They did this stuff over and over and over for themselves and for the people sacrifices sacrifices i mean blood everywhere over years after year after year after year and christ offered one single sacrifice for sins now listen and he sat down what does that mean that means he had finished the work in the same way where you say in Genesis 2. Six days God created the earth. On the seventh day He rested. He could sit down. Why? He finished the work. When Jesus sat down at the right hand of God the Father, He says over that, He finished the work. He finished the work. He accomplished our salvation there and he is now waiting until the time where all who have rejected him all of his enemies will be made his footstool that is 
they will come under his reign and it will be a crushing judgment and it will be carried out forever. Look at verse 14. Because some of us may not understand this, but I want you to, this will change your life. You ready? For by a single offering he has perfected for all time. All those who are being sanctified. Did you hear that? What, what does that mean? By his sacrifice, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. What does that mean? It means that they are right with God. It means that you could say of a person who knows the Lord, who has come to saving faith, one who is growing in Christ's likeness, you could say of them, but they're already perfected. But then I would say, yeah, but in practice they are being perfected. But the reality is when you say, I don't know if I'm in good standing with God, I would say, are you trusting in Jesus? Are you, are you believing upon Him? Have you seen the evidence and the fruit of His life at work in you, the Spirit of God at work in you? I mean, you see these evidences of Him changing you and drawing you to Himself and causing you to love His Word and causing you to love His people and causing you to walk in a way that would be obedient to Him. You see all that stuff at work in you? Do you see you're being, perf- you're being perf- perfected or you're being sanctified? And they say, oh yeah, no, I, I have seen that. Be like, yeah, well, get this. You've already been perfected. And that's, that's a crazy thing. You have already been perfected and you are being perfected. And that's just something we have to kind of say. I've already been this, but I'm not yet here. And I'm living in light of that. But this is a powerful truth that says, you know what, if I'm struggling with what to do with my sin and whether or not my sin has been dealt with and whether or not I will stand before the God one day and He will condemn me, you come back to this passage and you say, I have put my hope and trust in Christ and what the Scripture says is I was sanctified and I can have complete assurance that I stand with Him and he will intercede on my behalf. So, moving forward, we are able to come to this place, kind of you could say, when we think about going into the presence of God with confidence because of what Christ has done. He's seated there now. I am in Christ. I can enter into the Holy of Holies. The Scripture says, we've already looked at it in Hebrews 4, that we are able to draw near to the throne of grace and find mercy in our time of need. That is any time, right? Hebrews 7.25, Consequently, he's able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. The idea in verse 14 is that Christ has perfected, again, sanctified. It, it has the idea he's made us complete. He's fulfilled the work. He's He's made us fitting. We are right with God. But while we're living on this earth, of course, we are in process. And so you could come up with all these different things to try to make you feel good and right about with, with God. 
But he's saying like Christ has done that. He has accomplished it. And now what he begun and has already accomplished for you is now it has been applied to you and you are in process of becoming holy. Do you walk in that reality? That would be a question for you. Okay, so we're kind of we're saying Jesus offered himself and accomplished what the old covenant could not. He brought forgiveness and he transformed us so that we would live an obedient life. We know we've been, we've been made perfect and we're in the process of being made perfect, you might say. And then you might say, okay, well, what does that look like? What are the blessings that come from that? Look at 15 through 18 just for a moment and then we'll be done. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us saying, now if you remember before, he has said this uh, before and when he's quoted this, it was like the Father said. But now we see the Holy Spirit as the speaker. And we just say that the divine uh, has spoken to us and we need to listen. We are transformed. Look at verse 16 through 18. This is the covenant that I will make with them, declares the Lord. I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. And he adds, I will remember their sins, uh, their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. So what, what's he saying? He's saying the new covenant reality is this. Your sins have been dealt with. Let me ask you something. How many of you carry those around then? Like, do you ever think, like, I just walk around all the time thinking about my sins to some degree that's almost like it's debilitating. It's like, why can't we get to that place where we think with God, like, I think we do need to acknowledge our sin. No doubt, we do need to see it and understand it and grapple with it and say, I want to live an obedient life so I can't continue to live in this way. I have to be able to see it. But to see it in a way where it condemns me. Now, the other question might be, what about with other people? Should I carry around a list of their sins and condemn them with them? You know, got this bag. I've got every, look inside this little box here. I've got a file for every person I've ever met. Right? I'll pull this one out. Now, the, the, the issue is, is like, should we do that? And the answer would be, if we don't want to be like God. That cool enough? If you would prefer to not be like God and walk in disobedience to Him, keep the file on everybody. Right? And bring it up as often as you can. Now, notice what he says. I will put my laws on their hearts and will write them on their minds. Then he said, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. God is not saying, you're condemned, you're condemned. Oh, no, you're in good standing. No, you're condemned. Nope, you're in good standing. No, you're... He is saying, I will remember your sins no more. Those who are in Christ, their lawless deeds and their sins, he remembers no more in the sense of condemning you. Right? I, God will discipline you to help get you on track, but he is not condemning you. You're not going in and out of standing with him. Verse 18, where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. So you just, we see that, you put that together. And so we would say, God has given us a, a new life. He has transformed us by the gospel, and we have been forgiven. And this will result in a heart of gratitude for the forgiveness and a heart of faith because he's given us strength to do it. To do it. To live a life that would be pleasing to him. 
I mean, the question is for you, like, has that happened? Have you truly been born again? I mean, that's at the heart of this. The heart of it is, is you come to uh, the, the, this understanding, like when you really grasp it, that God has, what God has done in Christ is, is absolutely and completely astonishing. He has dealt with my sins and He's given me a new heart. Have I experienced that? Can I look back and see that? Is there evidence of that in my life? And if there is, like it should encourage you, fan the flame of your heart. If it doesn't, if you are sitting there saying like, you know what, I just thought I was kind of working along or I prayed this prayer when I was a little kid, I don't know what it was about, and I've never had a desire for God, we need to be praying, God, work in their hearts. And we would call upon you. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Trust Him. Follow Him. And we pray that God would stir that up in you. Because one who has truly been born again will be known by their obedient life. Not perfection, but transformed. And so we pray that to be true of all of us here. Father, we thank You for this day. We ask that You would stir up in us a desire to do good. A desire to love people. A desire to love You. A desire to give ourselves in sacrificial service to You. In not to try to appease You. Not to try to cover all our bases, but, but, but to please You. Because You have given us forgiveness and You've given us a new heart. We thank You for that. We ask that You would do that a massive work in us this year and that we would live in light of the resurrection continually. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.